Welcome to the Rural Woman Podcast, a platform for women in agriculture, ranching, homesteading, and more to share their stories. I'm your host, Caitlin Dubin. This week's episode of the Rural Woman Podcast is brought to you by our newest patron, Charlotte W. Charlotte now gets to enjoy all the great perks of being part of the Rural Woman Podcast gang on Patreon at the I'm a Big Fan tier, which include access to the patron-only feed, exclusive promo codes for Shop Wild Rose Farmer, patron gang status over at wildrosefarmer.com, and entry into our quarterly hat draw, plus ad-free listening on Patreon. You can join Charlotte and the rest of the patron gang in supporting the stories of women in agriculture to be shared through the Rural Woman Podcast starting at $2 a month. Head on over to wildrosefarmer.com to learn more about how you can become a patron through Patreon. Hey everyone, thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode of the Rural Woman Podcast. This week, you'll meet Nicole Puburin. Nicole grew up in a small community called Rocky Lane, located in northern Alberta, participating in 4-H and helping out on her family's mixed farming operation. Nicole was a married mother of two with a career outside of agriculture when after receiving her nutrition diploma and some health issues that her son was experiencing led her back to her roots. Today, Nicole shares with us her story of how they started their farm, Four Acres Farm, and where they are today raising Kuni Kuni pigs and Nigerian dwarf goats. You guys obviously know I'm excited to share another member of the goat gang with you, and especially Nigerian dwarf goats because they are adorable. (laughs) Before we get to today's interview with Nicole, let's go over our review of the week. This week's listener review comes from Dairy Mama via Apple Podcasts. This five-star rating and review is titled Represents All Egg. I love this podcast. Caitlin does a great job at finding many women who are from all different walks of life in agriculture. She has a great way of respecting and sharing different ways of farming without making any one sound better than the other or making a listener feel bad for how they operate. She has a great interview style and the shows are always very interesting. There are so few of us in farming now and it is nice to hear from others who live a similar lifestyle. Thank you, Caitlin. Well, thank you so much for your kind rating and review over on Apple. If you guys are enjoying the show, I encourage you to leave a rating and review wherever you listen to the Real Woman podcast as this helps other like-minded individuals find the show. And make sure if you guys are not already subscribed to the Rural Woman podcast, you hit that subscribe button wherever you listen as well. As you may have seen earlier this week, I released a bonus replay episode with my friend Kelsey Jorison Olison. When you hit that subscribe button, it ensures that you never miss an episode on Fridays or on those special days that I release bonus content. And just a heads up, there's going to be some extra bonus content in the month of February, and I'm very excited for you guys to hear it. Speaking of bonus content, make sure you stay tuned to the end of this episode where you will hear a sneak peek from a previous extended episode that is being released this week for the patrons of the Rural Woman podcast. So make sure you stay tuned to the end of this episode. And without further ado, my friends, let's get to this week's interview with Nicole. Hello, Nicole. How are you? I'm wonderful. How are you? 
I'm doing very well. Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. I am very excited to get to know you a bit better as well as share your story with my audience. Sweet. Well, I'm super excited. I've never done anything like this before. Well, I am. I'm ready to walk you through it. Perfect. (laughs) Your first podcasting gig. (laughs) It is. So for the listeners who are unfamiliar with you, give us your background of who you are, where you're from, and how you got your start in agriculture. So um, as you said, my name is Nicole, and I grew up a farm kid. We lived up in a small place called Rocky Lane, which is about 100 kilometers west territory's border. And I was in B4H for eight years, I believe. And in between there, some pony club and some horse 4-H. So I've had a lot of experience with farm life. And then I went away to school and left the farm. And it wasn't until the birth of my son. He had a lot of belly issues. We just couldn't get to the roof. And I started a nutrition diploma to try and just figure out a way of how to help them out. And during that, it really emphasized a lot of knowing where your food comes from. And I took it one step further and thought, well, how about I just be the person who makes where the food comes from? So luckily, my husband is super supportive of sometimes my very random dreams. And we bought our little acreage. And we started off with two Nigerian dwarf milk goats and a little handful of chickens. And that's kind of where we started. And then about a year in, the Nigerian dwarf breed wasn't super popular yet. And we knew that in 2015, the borders were going to be closing to U.S. imports. So I had partnered up with a couple other breeders and we brought in some Nigerian dwarf bucks of some new bloodlines. And then we kind of thought, well, I guess if we're going to do this, we're going to do it right. And we might as well just jump into breeding. So we got into those right away. And then we uh, brought the Kuni Kuni pigs on board a few years after. And it was all kind of a very steep learning curve because growing up, we never had goats. And the only pigs we had were like these super (laughs) crazy, I don't know what their breed was, but they were not very nice pigs. So I, not going to lie, I was a little gun shy when my husband suggested that we get into pigs, but they worked out and it's been really fun. And it just has grown and grown and grown since we started back in 2014. And to be in 2021 now and... This all started because you wanted to know where your food came from. And now look at you. (laughs) Yes. And interestingly enough, like a lot of our people that reached out to us in the 2020 year for wanting animals, they all wanted the same thing. Like a lot of them all started the exact same way. And I kind of took like another branch of it is not only producing the animals, but I'm like, I really want to support these people and finding different ways of how... I could do that on not only like a one-on-one basis with them because right like time is precious and I don't really have a ton of it (laughs) with little people on the farm and both of us working off the farm. So I'm like, how can I reach like more people but still provide like the same support? So it's it's kind of pushed me out of my comfort zone because it's what I was doing but not on a larger scale. So I'm kind of excited for that push and what it's grown to actually. 
Well, and I just think like how valuable is it for people who are reaching out to you that this is exactly how you started, right? Like it can be so intimidating to reach out to somebody about a subject that you don't really know anything about. Like if I am to contact you and say, I I don't know anything about these oats, but I want to start because I want to know where my food comes from. Like you can relate to that story. And so walking them through this journey or helping them any way that you can is obviously really helpful for them. Yeah, it's it's been well received and it's it almost like fills kind of like the void. Like not that there's a void, but like just that there's more community. Like I wanted it to be more like my mentor has been amazing and she's raised over 20 years. And I'm like, I feel like obviously like in the last probably year that I feel like maybe I have enough experience to be able to like share with other people. But for the longest time, I was like, oh, I should probably to somebody else who knows more about this. But then once you start talking with people, you're like, wow, I do actually like, kind of know what I'm doing. So <laughs> I guess I can actually help people. I didn't really think. Right. Well, and once you come to that realization, it's pretty cool to see how far you've come in the last seven years with farm and raising and breeding these animals. So that's very cool. Yeah. And like we bought the property, like as our farm name says, four acres, like we're small, like we're just under four. And I think for the longest time, because growing up with like a large cattle operation, large grain, large hay, it was like, okay, to be a farmer, you have to be on like a huge scale and it has to be, you have to have like a large amount of animals and you have to have all of these things. But I don't know at what point it kind of was able to, where we were able to like reframe that as being like, actually we can farmers on small amounts. Like we're still breeding high quality animals. We are still like allowing for breeding stock on this four acres, we have to use our property, obviously, like very smart because we don't have a lot of room to play with, but that just, it forces you to get creative and like really think outside of the box. So I kind of like that challenge of it too. Right. And I like it for the people too, who maybe don't have an agriculture background, but are looking to get in or to start somewhere and to know that you're able to make a small four acre piece of land, a viable option for you to produce whatever off of that land, whether that's breeding stock, or if you're doing produce or anything like that, you can still make a go and you're still a farmer, no matter how many acres that you have. <laughs> Thanks. I'm sure there's a joke somewhere about that. <laughs> well, our, my, cause my parents farm, they like to make, they like to, poke fun at us all the time where they're like oh you're a real farmer now we just got like our fuel tax credit so they were like oh you know you're uh now you're a real farmer like i've always <laughs> been a real farmer look at look at all my bring back so yeah now it's, it's always a running official. joke especially because yeah. they're miniature animals right <laughs> <laughs> yeah they're miniature animals so it's even funnier You can help support the stories of women in agriculture to be shared through the Rural Woman podcast on Patreon. What is Patreon? It's a membership-based platform that helps fund and support creators like me to create and produce content like this that you all love. New to the Rural Woman podcast, Patreon is ad-free listening and patron-only bonus content and exclusive episodes. Learn more and join the patron gang today at patreon.com slash the rural woman podcast. 
Well, let's talk more about your miniature animals. Let's talk about Nigerian dwarf goats. Tell us all about them. Why did you decide seven years ago that this was going to be the goat for you? So when we were doing our research, I wanted something that the property or the the person who owned the house before we did, they bred dogs. So all the fences were about like four foot high, trenched in uh, bred dog, uh, boxers. So I was kind of like, okay, well, I know what kind of fencing setups that I have to deal with. So I need something that's on a smaller size because like we just bought the property. So redoing all the fences is not a viable option. And because I knew that I was going to be feeding the milk to my tiny human, I needed to have something that was not really goaty tasting. I'm kind of like a milk snob. I think it was because I was allergic to milk when I was a little kid, but I wanted something that was super neat. They have the highest butterfat content of all the goat breeds, and they're really efficient with their feed intake. So because they're smaller stature, they don't take in as much feed, but you still get like a substantial amount of milk. So you get about like, I don't know, what's it, four cups usually off of our girls while they're still feeding anywhere from twins to triplets. So it's still like a good amount of milk. And because it's thick and high butter fat, it makes really nice yogurt. So that was what we mainly started with feeding him was like the milk itself, but also making yogurt, which worked out really well. So that's what kind of steered us to Nigerians and the fact that they bred year round. So because we do work both off the farm, I needed to have something that we could kind of play around with because at first we like to have our summer vacations. So I wanted to be breeding not during time so that we could be home for kidding season but be able to adventure around in the summertime. And they're really personable. They're pretty chill little animals. So I needed something that would be safe with the kids because I don't really want to have to be like always knowing exactly where they are when they're out in the yard and the fears of having something step on them. We also at one point had a milk cow going outside. Like we were outside and I stepped into the barn to grab something and came out and our three-year-old at the time was laying underneath the milk cow watching the two calves nurse. And he was like, mom, look how cool this is. And I was like, oh gosh, no. So at that moment I was like, I really need to only have small. Like it kind of reaffirmed, like we we can only have small animals here because if that cow moves, she's going to crush your sweet little baby face. And (laughs) so, yeah. So needless to say, we don't have the milk cow anymore, but it's worked out fine still having the goats. And yeah, so we started out with two in 2014 and we're just halfway through our seventh kidding season. I wish I could tell you exactly how many goats I have, but a little blurry. We have, we just had 20 babies born out of 10 moms. So, and then we have another 10 or 11 does um, that will be today in the second week or third week of February. So it's grown fast and yeah, it's been really good. Now we're just working on doing some more, getting in some new bloodlines because when we first started out, I think there was like less than five Nigerian dwarf breeders on the registry and now... I think there's over 50. So the breed has really expanded. And I've now shifted more so as being like, oh, cute, and they're small, and they're lovable. Like, yes, they are all those things, but they're capable of so much more. So I think now that's where we're, uh, some of us breeders that have been doing it for a while are like, yeah, let's start to, you know, push that they are 
good quality animal that can be used in places other than just being like a cute pet. Right. Do you find that most people that are looking for that breed in your area are looking for more of a pet goat versus something for meat or for milk? I don't really sell anything for meat because we tried an experiment not last fall, the fall before we kept two weathers to feed them up and we were like, let's just see how much meat we get. I think there was like 20 pounds of meat per kid. Like it was not like not worth the hassle of butchering them. So if anyone asks us if they can eat them, I'm like, you can, but like you're probably better off going to like a meat breed because you're not really going to get a whole lot. So generally our, like our weathers or castrated males, they usually go for pets or companion animals, but we sell mostly to people who want to. Yeah, they're obviously like super tiny compared to like a boar goat or any type of meat goat. So yeah, I was just wondering, like, I, I couldn't see anybody successfully getting a lot of meat off of them, but obviously it may be if you kept it around, but it would have to be really fat for <laughs> it. And I don't think it's stubby little legs would probably hold it up too, too well there. <laughs> no, we, um, one of our neighbors has one that she got from us a couple of years ago. And he is like a tank. He's three years old and he's constantly like going to, there's three neighbors that live on uh, one parcel and he like rips around from house to house getting his Ritz crackers and like all these like awful non-goat food. And yeah, she sent me pictures of him. She's like, um, do you think he's overweight? I'm like, oh uh, yeah, by like a lot, a lot of overweight. Maybe cut out the crackers and maybe just like swap it for some, you know, grass hay might help. Yeah, no doubt. <laughs> so are you still milking your goats then for your own personal use or are you using, are you selling milk or any products? No, we usually just do it for ourselves now. I just milk and we make mostly yogurt. I have made cheese with it. But that's when I'm really ambitious. We don't sell anything. Uh, my plan, though, is of my like farm goal of this year is to start making a goat and lard soap, like just between the pig lard that we have and the goat's milk, to see how that works just for our family. Like I don't have any plans on selling that yet. But no, I don't sell the milk. It's a lot. We just don't have the setup for it. And there's a lot of hoops to jump through to do that. <laughs> right. Yeah, for sure. For all of the standards and all of the equipment and all of the things, that is a lot. Yeah. <laughs> and it sounds like you have your hands full with a lot of kids anyways. So. <laughs> yeah, I think in 20. So that's why when people say like, I only have like this many acres, I can't have an animal. I'm like, well, in 2019, which I don't really recommend this many because it was a little bit crazy, but we had between all of our goats and kids, there was 70 goats and we had 150 poultry and I think we had a dozen pigs. So like, yeah, like use the property by doing like rotational grazing and the goats or the pigs follow the goats because they don't have the same parasite cycle. So then we would, you know, rotate them all around. But yeah, we were able to do that on four acres. So it is possible. But that was, even I was like, this is a little too many goats here. This is a little bit much. So, 
<laughs> Luckily, last year's numbers were a little lower. It was just, it happened to be like a twin and triplet year. So it was just, it exploded right. very fast. Yeah, no doubt. But this year we, we are purchasing, or we purchased uh, an extra couple acres. So we'll have 10 acres that's annexed to our property. So we'll have a little bit more space. But yeah, but it is doable on small yeah, that's great. So let's talk more about the Cooney Cooney pigs. I'm trying to rack my brain of all of the interviews that I've done. And I don't think I've had anybody on the podcast has had a Cooney Cooney pig. If I have, I apologize to whomever it was. <laughs> but tell us more about the Cooney Cooney breed and like what they look like, what their characteristics are and why you get to bring them onto your farm. Okay. So we were actually at, I think it was a farm show, and there was a breeder that had these two pigs, and they were the funniest looking pigs I'd ever seen. So they remind me of like a pug, like they have a very short nose, and they're hairy, and they have like these little waddles that hang down on their neck, and I had never seen a pig like that in my life. And I think the lady who had them was just like scratching them, they were just rolled over and super chill, like there's a whole bunch of people around. And I was like, oh my gosh, these pigs are like super different than anything I've ever seen before. And we got to talking with her and she said, yeah, because of their short nose, they don't really do any digging. They're a grazing pig. I'm like, a grazing pig? I've never heard of this in my life. And she's like, well, they're from originally from New Zealand. I think they came into Canada in 2012. So they're fairly new still. And yeah, they have long hair, uh, depending on... They're kind of they're kind of similar to the Nigerians where you can get so many different like color combinations and whatnot and shorter faces, bigger ears, like their breed standard covers kind of all of those things. So it's it's kind of neat because you know what you're going to get. But yeah, they don't really dig and they just walk around eating grass. So they have a really low input. So we feed our pigs about two cups of grain twice a day. So other than that, they eat hay in the winter. We also feed them. We're part of the loop program, so they get a lot of produce. And then in the summer, they are out on pasture, and they just walk around like a cow eating grass. So it still like amazes me in the summertime when I see my herd of pigs out just munching on grass, and that in the fall, I get to butcher them and, and have delicious grass fed pork. So it's it's kind of neat. And they're very docile. So again, like back to the the child and the cow story, I needed to have something that was not aggressive. And even like the boars, the kids will be out in the pens. They're actually the boars are more chill than the sows are. Some of them have a little bit of attitude, but not like towards us, just like towards each other. And when farrowing, like the kids will be out there helping us, you know, midwife glitz. And there's no, yeah, there's no like, and that's where I say when I had my nervousness towards pigs, when I was little, we had a sow and she got out of a pen and we were between her and the pig and she like ran me down. So I was like, ah, so anytime during farrowing, I'm kind of a little hesitant, but yeah, we've done, we've had a, I can't even remember how many litters we've had, but yeah, we've had no one eaten uh, none of us humans eaten uh none of the baby eaten. and they grow the only like i guess con to the cooney coonies is because they're or they're a slower growing pig so 
and they finish at about 12 to 18 months when you will butcher them. So it's not like you're, I guess, a commercial wiener that you could have them butcher ready really quickly. So they do take longer. And their meat is like really, really red. Anytime we take, you know, pork to like family functions and stuff, they're like, what is, what is this? I'm like, it's pork. And they're like, no, it's not. It's a beef. I'm like, no, <laughs> it's, it's just pork. What is just red? So sorry, I'm not lying to you. Is there much of a taste? Yeah, it's almost like, like it's almost like a, like I want to say like a smokyish kind of flavor. Like you can, like they have more of uh, like a flavor attached to them, and it also they take on spices way uh, easier. So for example, like the same recipe that I would use because um, we do all of our own bacon. So the recipe that I would use if I had, I think we bought. Like when we first started out, a Berkshire cross that we had bought meat off of. So I used my same recipe. And then when we did the coonies, I had to drop it down to a third. So they just like take on the seasoning really easily. And yeah, they seem to soak it up really well. Because if you use like the, the straight, what you would use on other pigs, it was way too salty. Right. Huh. That is very cool. And I think it's so interesting and it's so fascinating that they're not a pig that is is rooting and is digging because that I think for a lot of people is kind of like they're they shy away from getting pigs because they don't want to make a mess of their pasture or if they're doing it more as a hobby, they don't want to have to have this like mud pit for these pigs for them to dig and all of this stuff. So like for them to be grazing and like even to have them as a part of a rotational grazing plan, like I think that's a pretty interesting idea and very cool. I'll have to bring that to to my husband and see if I'm allowed to bring uh, a Kuni Kuni pig home. (laughs) See what he has to say. Well, they, um, I made a mistake and bought uh, electric fence netting for like rabbits. Like it's like that, like one foot high electric netting. And that's what keeps them in in the summer. Like that, I keep it plugged in for a little while. And then when I need to use the fencer on the goats that are more fence tester-ish, they, they get the fencer and then the pigs are just in this little, <laughs> little yellow, like one foot electric net. And then I just move them around and. Yeah, it's crazy because I was of the same where I'm like, no, I would like to raise my own pork, but I don't like I only have four acres. So I can't really I don't have a space for them to destroy. And like, I think the biggest area, like I will give them area where it's actually our well pumps out. So it's like super wet and like their mud hole is maybe like not even a foot deep and it's got grass in it. So it's. Like they don't like dig like a gigantic hole to wherever. So, yeah. Very cool. And they, like you said, when you said that they look like a pug, like that is the perfect example of what a cooney cootie pig looks like. They look like a pug pig. (laughs) (laughs) They're so ugly. They're cute. When they're babies, they're so (laughs) adorable. Like we have little babies right now. And people will always say anytime they see them, they're like, no, if they would just like look like this, I think our vet actually, when she was like, see, these are cute, but that, I'm like, well, she's so adorable. She's so ugly. She's cute. I'm like, yeah, "Yeah, no thanks. (laughs) (laughs) That's the purpose. So ugly. It's cute. That's exactly how they are. (laughs) Yeah.
you have heard me tell you all about the amazing benefits that come with being a patron of the Rural Women podcast through Patreon, but I wanted to share with you a few testimonials from the patron gang themselves. Patron Annabelle writes, I became a patron so I could enrich my knowledge of the diverse world of agriculture. Although I live and breathe farming and ranching, there is a lot I don't know. I believe learning that how and why people do things will help me improve being a better rancher myself. This podcast also helps with the feeling of isolation. I hear the voices of ladies from all walks of life living a similar life to my own. This type of outreach is not only vital for us in the business, but those wanting to learn about the people growing and raising their food. I'm well aware that podcasts take an outstanding amount of time and money to create, so I felt like I, as well as others, can make a small monthly contribution that can help make a long-lasting podcast. Join Annabelle and the rest of the patron gang in supporting the stories of women in agriculture to be shared through the Rural Women podcast starting at $2 a month over on Patreon. Visit wildrosefarmer.com Patreon to learn more. So you mentioned before that you've kind of grown in your role as a farmer and an educator, really, of sharing your story and sharing your knowledge of goats. You recently hosted a goat week on social media. So can you tell us more about that? Yeah. So I just wanted, like, sometimes when you see on social media or anything in the world, it's always like this versus this, or this person knows everything and needs to, you know, the new people don't know, bring anything to the table. And I was like, I wonder if there's a way that I could bridge that. Like, there's got to be... Like, I feel like we should be able to get information out there and that, you know, the person who's maybe had goats for like a month probably still has something to bring to the table that I've never even experienced before. So I'm like, we can learn things from each other and it doesn't have to be, especially because of 2020 where you can't like go anywhere or do anything or talk to anyone. I was like, mm, maybe I could do it on social media. And I seen someone had done like a turkey week, I think. And I was like, oh. That seems interesting. I like how they laid it out. But then I was like, okay, but well, I need to go like maybe like a little step further and have it on more than one platform. Because yes, Instagram, you're able to, it, like obviously like I'm not tech savvy at all. So I'm not even going to, like if someone's listening to this and is like, um, that's wrong. It probably is wrong, but this is just my interpretation. If you reach a, more, a lot more people in them, but you don't get to like share as much like content on Instagram as you do on Facebook. So I wanted to do it on both platforms and I wanted like a wide range of topics. So I think the first one we did, we had parasite management, we livestock guardian dogs specific to Nigerian dwarfs and fencing, feeding, milk testing and classification. So I just wanted to hit a whole bunch of areas right out of the gate because I knew it was kind of something new and something that, you know, people might be skeptical of because I'm not really, like, I don't even own a Facebook account. So I'm not really out there on social media other than Instagram. So, yeah, so what I did was paired up with seven other or six other breeders, kind of. We tossed around some ideas and, yeah, they had came up with some amazing content. So what we did was every day was a different feature. So each farm would have, yeah, kind of like their day and their topic. And then we would direct all of our people to that 
to that feature. And it went over so well that I had people reaching out saying, like, when's the next one? Like, what are you going to do for the next one? So we set up to do the next one being the second week of February. And it'll be on both Instagram and Facebook. And it's just specific, like it's specific to Nigerian dwarf goats because like I said before, I feel like the breed gets shafted as being like this little pet and I want to show like all the different things that they can do, whether it's, you know, a large milking setup or it's just someone who has two. But the information that will be relevant to anyone that has goats in general. So the next one coming up will be all around kidding and milking so whether that's hand milking machine milking and then what to do with the milk so i have some doing like soap and uh, shampoo tutorial and then cheese making and i think that's it yeah so i'm really looking forward to it and then the main one we will do on outside setups so because i'm kind of like a creeper of people i follow along with them and and see like oh yeah I think a lot more people need to see what this person has to share. So then I reach out to them in a less like creepy fashion and see if they're willing to jump on board. And for the most part, people love to share their like share what they're doing and helping other people because the more we like look to it, I think when, you know, people write stuff on social media, it, it can be taken in a million different contexts. But when you see them talking about it, you're like, wow, that would be awesome. And it's like, I always give the disclaimer at the beginning that it's not meant to like say that whatever you're doing is wrong. It's just giving you an idea. Maybe like a few years down the line, you would say like, hey, this could be something I might be wanting to get into, or this might be something that interests me. So yeah, it's a good, it's fun. It's fun actually. That's so great. And I think, I don't know if you found this when you were getting into goats, but I know when I was, it was really hard to find information about getting started and what you needed to know like there was a lot of stuff about sheep but for goatly I don't think like there wasn't a lot of things that I found so it actually I found through talking to other goat people it was a lot easier to learn from them than it was to find any accurate or time that was online for it so having this information and having this group of people share their knowledge i think is probably more valuable than whatever you're going to find in a textbook anyways oh totally like i think we had like over 80 years experience between all of us in the first one And like I knew coming, like I had to make sure that I had a lot of people that really like knew what they were talking about coming out. But yeah, it because there's been times like that's 100% right because I would reach out to my vet and oftentimes he would direct me to like a mentor in the community that's had goats for like a million years. He's like, you know what? I'm not actually sure. Maybe you should touch base with this person because I haven't had experience with this. Right, because there's that's always the answer of, well, just reach out to your vet. Just reach out to your vet. Your vet will. And I'm like, well, what happens if the vet doesn't know? Like, <laughs> or you don't. You're not close enough to them. It's not that you're, you know, trying to be like a bad goat owner, but literally you're just laying off the cuff. And you're right. That is a lot of what people do. Yeah, for sure. So, for the listeners who are interested in checking out your Goat Week stuff, where can they go on Facebook and Instagram? So we, on Instagram, we use hashtag NDGoatWeek. And then my handle is 4AcresFarm on both Facebook and on Instagram. So at the beginning of the week, I will 
or sorry, the week of February 8th starts, I will have a graphic showing that which are we on each day with each topic. Because if people don't want to check out all the different topics, that's cool. If they want to find one that's specific to that day, then they can just go head over and find that person that's talking about that topic. That's awesome. And I will make sure to put your handles in the show notes and I'll put a link to the hashtag as well so people can find and check it out. And obviously they can see the stuff that has already happened and connect with the other people who have already been sharing. So the one big happy goat community over on the Instagram. (laughs) Well, that was the biggest catch is I was like, how do I make this because I like I used to have a media person do all of my social media stuff because I just I couldn't keep up and so we had worked kind of through some of the kinks but it wasn't until we were like in the middle of the week that I'm like how is it that people can go back and look at all of these things again and she's like well you need a hashtag I'm like all right I got it okay so what should it be <laughs> <laughs> well that's perfect and you guys got her all figured and I'm so excited to check out the next one that's happening uh in just a few weeks here so Nicole it has been so great chatting with you for my last question for you for the evening. What is the most rewarding part about being a farmer for you? Um, hands down, being able to look in my deep freeze or look in my fridge and see all the stuff that I grew by myself and doing it with my kids. So I can, you know, when my kids are not feeling good, they'll just say like, you know what, I had um your birthday party. I can't wait to go home. And I just want a salad. And I'm like, oh my gosh, parenting win. And they, you know, go out to the garden box and pick their greens and then make their own food or like that probably is my most That's rewarding. Awesome. And I, I'm with them. I, I enjoy a good garden salad and homegrown food always tastes way better than store-bought food any day. It does. And I know there's not going to be any shortage. (laughs) There won't be a shortage of it when I go to the, when I go grocery shopping in the garage. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Exactly. Well, thank you again so much for joining me on the Royal Women podcast today. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. I hope you all enjoyed Nicole's interview this week and can join her over on Instagram for the upcoming Goat Week. I wanted to share with you all a sneak peek of the patron-only content that is being released this week for the patrons at the $10 tier or higher. It is the extended episode back from episode 84 with Renee Woods, where we discuss the best advice for training your guardian livestock dog from puppies to full-on working dog. Also, the mistakes to avoid while training said dog and how to pick the right breed of livestock guardian dog for your operation. Have a listen. No, that's such a good question. So I always tell people, if you go into raising livestock guardian dogs like you do companion animals, you're in for a reawakening. You have to really understand how livestock guardian dogs work and how they think. And once you kind of let go of that idea of how you always train dogs and you yourself are open to learning, your journey will be much easier. So I always tell the best piece of advice, whether or not you get a puppy or an adolescent or a start adult, is just spend time with your individual dogs. So really just observe them, be with them, learn about them, find out what their triggers are. Like my livestock guardian dog is incredibly food motivated. 
like incredibly, like I can probably get him to jump through a hoop of fire for like a piece of liver. One of my other livestock guardian dogs could care less about food. And I always like, I'm Italian. Like that's an insult, Eddie, but that's fine. There you have it, guys, the sneak peek of the patron-only extended episode 84 with Renee Woods. Now, if you guys want to hear our full 20-minute extended interview, you can head on over to wildrosefarmer.com and join in the patron gang at the $10 tier or higher. Thank you again all so much for tuning in to this week's episode of the Rural Woman Podcast, and we will see you back here real soon. Thanks for listening to the Rural Woman Podcast. A special thanks to our Patreon executive producer, Sarah Reedner of Happiness by the Acre, and to my editor, Max Hofer. For show notes, head on over to wildrosefarmer.com. You can connect with me on social media using the handle at wildrosefarmer on all platforms. If you love the show, make sure you're subscribed wherever you listen to podcasts, plus share it with a friend. We'll see you next time.